I would just say that if you're someone who considered yourself an evangelical or a Bible-believing Christian, uh, one of the biggest things that have led to the diminishment of Christianity in the Western world or in the Western hemisphere over the past 10, 15 years has been accusations of being hypocritical or the church being hypocritical and how they pinpoint a few issues that they are hardcore full sale on and then other things they let go by the wayside. And I thought Trump would do far more damage uh, to Christianity if he gets elected than not elected because this is a man who embodies, at least on the surface, the antithesis of principles of the Christian so faith. You, you, <laughs> I mean, where, where to begin? Welcome back to season two of Depolarize, the podcast where we search for common ground at the intersection of politics, psychology, and religion. I'm Dan Cope. I'm Ellen Morrow. And last week, we spent a good chunk of time getting to know the people we are calling the 19 percenters, white evangelical Christians who did not vote for Trump. Of course, they are the mirror opposite of the 81% of white evangelicals who did vote for Trump, according to the NBC News exit poll on election night. That stat has gotten a lot of play in the media. It has gone far and wide. Some consider it an infamous stat. And it is the statistic around which this entire season is based, at least loosely. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, you should probably listen to that one first, because... This episode builds on that one. All right, let's recap what we learned last week about these guys. Right. So we have 10 white evangelical Christians who did not vote for Trump. Nine of them are pro-life. Most of them wanted an expanded definition of the pro-life agenda. They all told us how they understood the gospel, what their interactions with Trump voters have been like how political their church communities were, and how specifically they thought that the teachings of Jesus should inform a voter and a citizen of America. And then, of course, slightly uncomfortably, we asked them what they loved about America. Now, this week, as promised, we will start with the most straightforward question of all. Why did you not vote for Donald Trump? But before we do, I just want to remind everyone These episodes are geared toward a skeptical Trump voter thinking, I've heard that some Christians didn't vote for Trump, but I don't know about those guys. That's exactly who I hope is listening. I hope that this has been shared with people like that. We are brothers and sisters. We, you are welcome here. This is not a judgmental zone. We are trying to build bridges and hope that we can achieve that. So here is everyone's answer. And for whatever reason, they're organized from the most dismissive of Trump to the least in that order. I didn't vote for Trump because he just did not um, inspire in me a presidential person. I didn't feel trust in him. And I thought he was just a, a bozo is really I mean, I he just I just couldn't believe that he was running. Couldn't believe the day that the results were coming in and that he was winning. I didn't vote for Trump because of the character of the person. He had no political experience. I didn't think he had any real care for people. He just was out for himself. 
Well, I didn't think he was qualified to begin with. Um, on top of that, he says a lot of things that I think are inappropriate and unprofessional. He seems like a crazy person, and all my fears of what I thought he would do as um, a leader are sort of coming true. And um, he just makes a lot of brash decisions, I feel, without thinking things through. And I think that's evident in how many people have already left his administration. He tends to just say what's on his mind without thinking things through or just without it being appropriate. He doesn't have any kind of filter, uh, which I think would get us into a lot of trouble politically and internationally. Um, he said a lot of things that were just really degrading towards women and minorities and, um, in my opinion, didn't fit a lot of values that I hold as an evangelical. Probably the the main thing is when I first saw him as a, a candidate, I was a little bit encouraged because I have, over the last number of years, grown dissatisfied with the Democrat-Republican parties. Yeah, And I thought, okay, here's somebody who's coming in who will do something different. And I was hopeful that that something different would be a good thing. Um, but the more I heard him talk on debates and things like that, I realized that even if I agreed with his policies, I felt that his personality and his conduct would be harmful to the whole system. Uh, I had always voted uh, for people with an R in front of their name across the board, just because generally I thought those are the individuals that would be closest to sort of implementing my worldview on the political level. Uh, I didn't believe uh, he, you know, adhered to tenets of conservatism, which were limited government, um, pro-life stances, uh, pro-traditional family, pro-life. And I just sort of thought this is a game show host who wants to run for president. And this is a nice sort of distraction and publicity stunt for him. But I think he should be nowhere near complex issues of foreign policy, domestic policy, and have that much power in the government. I thought it was pretty clear at the time. Because I try to think about politics, not just in how they affect me, but how they affect like other people that I know and love who don't look like me and haven't had the experience that I've had. And I just thought to myself, like, how are all of my friends who are people of color, how are they feeling about this guy? And, I, and I'm like, wow, they're like really afraid. I should probably pay attention to that. Like what we're used to hearing in a, in a president, right? He's just, it's like he had a few beers and he's just saying whatever he wants, like all the time. And, uh, and that gave me that pause for concern, but I'm like, okay, well, let me look into his policies a little bit. And, but then I'm realizing there are so many people who are like afraid of what this guy is bringing. And that, that made me take a step back and just go like as a pastor at a church that is, we're multi-generational, we're multi-ethnic, we're multi, multi-political is not the right word where there's political diversity here. Yeah. And I just went, I can't in good conscience vote for him. Well, that makes sense that they all had different answers because the only thing that they have in common, like you always say, is that they just didn't vote for Trump. Yeah, I usually say that about Trump voters. The only thing they have in common is that they all voted for Trump. Let's not put them in a big bag together. Or basket. A big old 
bag of, of Trump voters. <laughs> Big old oh. bag of Trump voters. But what I found was interesting is that in the end, none of our 10 voters really waffled very much. A few of them, not all, never even considered voting for him. Here are a handful of answers to my question. Did you ever consider voting for Trump? I mean, he wasn't even in my mind as a consideration for a primary candidate. When was the moment that you realized you couldn't vote for this guy? The moment I knew he was in the race. <laughs> There's no... Nothing. Just... No. I, he had no redeeming qualities for me. Okay. You already knew enough about him before May of 2015. Yes. When was the moment I realized? Uh, probably when he announced <laughs> yeah. his candidacy. Yeah, you're not the only I'm person serious. to say that. Allow me to anticipate an argument from any open-minded Trump supporters who might be listening. And of course, by the way, thank you for listening. This is really for you as much as it is for the rest of us. You, oh, Trump voter, friend of mine, might be thinking, hey... The deck is stacked against this guy. These folks never even gave him a chance. To which I would say, sure, that might be true. But I think the same is probably true the other direction towards Hillary. So many Americans, especially pro-life evangelicals, voted for Trump because they could never imagine voting for Hillary. That's not really any different. And since we've got them, I think we might as well play a couple clips from our Trump voters that prove this point. I mean, I would have voted for Mickey Mouse. I would have voted for, I mean, uh, there's no way I could have voted for Hillary Clinton. I mean, I can't just imagine a world where I would have. For one thing, because I couldn't stand Hillary, she wore these frumpy little pantsuits, and she called the rest of us a basket of deplorables, and I decided I could never support someone like that. So you would say Hillary was disqualified, if for no other reason than simply she was clearly uh, pro-abortion rights. Yes, I kind of looked at it as Hillary's okay with killing babies. Again, between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump was by far 100% better. Character-wise, Character-wise. Okay. Hey, I recognize that voice, Ellen. Was that you interviewing your I dad? I just physically cringed when I heard my voice talking to my dad's voice about Hillary Clinton. I just, my whole body, I don't know if you saw all my... All my limbs just tense up. Uh, I didn't see that, but we, we're we going to have some time when we get to our Trump voters, and we will talk a little bit about you interviewing your dad on this and how that experience was for you. Uh, but what do you think about these responses? I mean, do you think, do you buy my argument that, look, it's it's understandable that a bunch of people didn't give Trump a chance, a lot of people didn't give Hillary a chance, and we should be okay with that? Or what do you think? I think this election may be more than any other. Um, it's very clear that there are knee-jerk reactions on, on either side. Yeah, we can maybe just acknowledge that, leave it there, and say that is an interesting question as to whether or not we should allow knee-jerk reactions, but it's kind of a separate question. And I wouldn't say, and, and tell me if you agree, that just because someone had a knee-jerk reaction to Hillary or Trump, I don't think that that should disqualify them from being heard and being listened right. to. Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. We can just acknowledge that, hey, this was a very knee-jerk season for Americans. <laughs> I like that. Knee-jerk season. Maybe this that's what this season should be. Just Depolarize. Knee-jerk. <laughs> A lot has been written about these polls that show some percentage of Trump voters will support Trump no matter what. You've seen these polls? Yes. This is the most heartbreaking part about 
all of this to me. All of this. Well, I might uh, make your heart even more broken Great. by showing you that non-Trump voters <laughs> suffer from the very same thing. But the question is something that gets asked. is something like, is there anything Trump could do that would cause you to stop supporting him? And back in August of 2017, for instance, 61% of those who believed that Trump was doing a good job as president, so 61% who approved of him said nothing. There's nothing he could do. Now, a lot of people were worried about this, and here's the context. In August of 2017, Trump had accomplished zero large policy aims. The tax bill had not been passed yet. His overall national approval rating at that time in August was around 38%. So, 61% of 38% is 23% of American voters. So 23% of America said there is nothing he could do that would make me not support him. But what was interesting about this same poll is that of the people who did not approve of Trump as of August 2017, okay, so he had a 38% approval rating. So we're talking about... Same poll. His voters that didn't approve or regardless? Yeah, national voters. So same poll. Of the people who did not approve of his job as president, 57% said that he could do nothing to win their support, short of resigning the presidency. So effectively, just the same number of people said he'll never do anything that will make me stop supporting him, as said he'll never do anything that will make me start supporting him. So if we're going to be sad about one group, I think we have to acknowledge it's both. Almost more sad about the other. Yeah. The other. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I don't see really. I wish they'd just negate each other. There's really no difference, I don't think, logically, between those two positions that Mm-mm. I can think of. Now, with our 10 voters that we interviewed, they were about 50-50. So some of them said he could do something. Some of them said he couldn't do anything that would make them So you know what I, I, I want to interject here and ask? Whenever I hear this question, I always go to, you know, I'm like a crime junkie, right? So I always think, what are the worst things that he could do? You think about like true crime scenarios? So when people say, oh, he could do nothing wrong, I'm thinking about like, what if he murdered somebody? What if he gone girled Mike Pence? (laughs) Like, I don't, yeah. Like, (laughs) I don't understand. I I think we need to set some ground rules before we're really asking this question, which I don't think has been done, but that's where I go with this. (laughs) I don't think that people, when they hear the question, most people say, is there anything Trump could do uh, that would make me, oh, I guess if he uh, started a cult and with a mass suicide, yeah, I'd still be with him. No one's thinking that. They're thinking policy, war, whatever. Okay. So, and that's funny. I'm still going to, I'm still going to hold my little torch over here and just assuming that everybody who's answering this is already thinking all the things that I'm thinking. (laughs) Uh, And it's horrifying. Well, then if that's true, then the people who are asked if they would support Trump, they should consider maybe he'll cure cancer. Hey. They're not thinking that either. Exactly. It's an equal playing field. Yes. Uh, Let's just consider this more getting to know Ellen. So you're pro-life and you're really into crime. That sums me up. Pretty perfectly. And you have a baby and a husband. Yeah. And always a Trader Joe's box of Cabernet on top of my fridge. (laughs) Okay. That's (laughs) that's Ellen in a nutshell. Four things. Is there anything that Trump could do that would make you support him or at least move you significantly closer to approving of his job? No, not at this point. Boy, I don't know. 
it, it would it would have to be at this point it would it would take some time I don't know. He's really messed up a lot. He's said a lot of really stupid things. I mean, I guess anything's possible. Do I think, if I can think of one specific thing, not really. I mean, I think he'd have to change a lot of his policies, which I don't think would happen. I mean... If he had, if he decided to provide universal health care, yes. If he decided to do a, a, um, a major uh, works program for roads and um, infrastructure... Yes, if he um, started providing aid to um, countries like Somalia, more aid, and caring for those countries that are in need, sure, not going to happen. <laughs> but if he did, if he did, if he, he, I, so if he were, so let's say he works out some deal with Chuck Schumer and Pelosi and Bernie, and by the end of his four or eight years, we have universal single payer health care. Would that be enough for you to go, you know, that was maybe worth it? God works in strange ways. <laughs> but you're not totally closed off. I'm not closed. Okay. If he, Whatever he does for the good of the most people, I will support. I think what's unfortunate is he's said so much now that if he were to go back on anything, it would feel disingenuous. The, the policy side, there's some things that, that he could do. But for me, the reason I didn't vote for him had more to do with how he was coming across and addressing people than his specific, you know, policies that I knew would probably change after he got elected anyway, because they typically do president to president. Yeah, just follow basic tenets of conservatism, like I've been talking about before, Uh, limiting government, uh, giving more power back to states which are the laboratories of democracy, uh, consolidating less power in the executive branch. I wasn't a fan of all the executive orders that Obama implemented during his years in office. Uh, Showing uh, American leadership on the world stage is needed, but also setting the tone uh, and attitude for what that looks like. Conducting himself with honor and decency and sanity, not shooting from the hip. Providing moral clarity uh, for the nation. I think he failed at that recently uh, over the uh, events in Charlottesville and elsewhere. So, Ellen, let's let's make this personal. Uh, should you and I, should we, should listeners, should we be open to Trump changing our minds about him? What do you think? Oh, yeah. Yep. We should be. Especially, I believe, especially as Christians, we okay. ought to. Why do you think that? Because it's giving grace and giving second chances and being merciful. And I would hope that someone would do that of me. And it's also the only hope we have. So we should sort of hold on to the fact that maybe things could turn out great. Yeah. I mean, it's not the only hope we have. It's the only hope in the executive branch that we have. Right. So, okay. I thought about this a little bit and I'm going to give, uh, I'm going to give a kind of a counter argument. Um, I think that we certainly need to be open to conservative arguments or liberal arguments, right? We need to be open to leaders from any party. Um, we need to be open to bipartisanship. We need to be open to maybe this party has a good idea that the other party doesn't like. Otherwise nothing really gets done. Right. But with individuals, public officials, there is a certain issue of trust. Like, can I trust anything that you're saying? Right. Uh, that you will do or have done. And so I think for me with Trump, really, really thinking about this, he just has played so fast and loose with information, with the truth. 
that for me, what, what I would need is he would need to prove over a decent period of time that he only said things that could be reasonably construed as true or accurate. Mm-hmm. Like at that point, I think that the door for me would start to open. But currently it feels it feels to me like he uses language more like a weapon. He says things that will reflect best on him. He says whatever will silence or distract his enemies. Uh, as many of our interviewees will say throughout the season, he consistently denies things that are on the record, on camera, on tape. Yep. A good illustration of this, uh, perhaps, is like if someone handed me a book written by Richard Nixon about his years in the White House during Vietnam and the Watergate scandal, what would it take for me to like trust Nixon's account of that era? And then should I feel bad that I don't trust it? You know what I mean? You're saying that if you read a book that Nixon was saying none of that happened? Whatever it is. Like, whatever Nixon has to say about Vietnam and Watergate, I have a lot of evidence to not trust him. Right. Right? Because sure. he's on the record. He's, he's been caught in all these lies. And for me, if Trump started telling the truth more often and stopped lying in, in sort of obviously provable ways, then I could be open to him. It is hard for me without that change. Yeah, and it's tough right now when truth is sort of relative. What do you mean truth is relative? You're saying this as if you know that he does not tell the truth. Well, I'm talking about things that are literally on camera. Right. So someone says... And I would submit to you that there are plenty of Trump voters that would say, well, that was dubbed or this was edited in a certain way. And, you know, it's the liberal agenda. Well, okay, so Maybe that's, that's interesting. Stretch, but, yeah. but that so, exists. Well, no. I, so, know, I know people like that. I think that the most common response to this is, well, the media is biased against him. I think that's true. Right. And I I actually agree with the substance of that claim. I do think that the media is biased against Donald Trump. Uh, And I think that that definitely accounts for, like, some of the things that Trump has done well that haven't been covered or some of his, like, insignificant blunders or missteps being blown up into bigger issues than they need to be. But I, I don't think that anyone in the media is faking a tape of Trump denying John McCain is a war hero and no one is faking a tape of Trump denying that he said that John McCain is not a, a war hero on tape, right? It's beautiful. I love how how on tape everything is. Uh so for me, you know, the media bias argument I think is legitimate, but it only goes so far in explaining what seems to me to be Trump's very tenuous relationship with the truth to put it kindly. All right, let's reel it in. Let's let's get back to faith here. Evangelicalism. Evangelical Christianity, right? It's on the top of so many minds these days. I wanted to know if these non-Trump voters had religious reasons for voting against Trump or if they saw their political and religious motivations as mostly separate. Let's hear what they had to say. I would say every aspect of my life relates to my Christian faith. Uh, There's sort of a common misconception that says, oh, leave your faith at the door when it comes to the political realm. But everybody brings with them some sort of belief system when they're talking about policy for the country. And so my Christian faith, C.S. Lewis has a quote like, I believe in Christianity like I believe in the sun where it illuminates everything that I look at. And so I I don't separate it from my business life, from my family life, uh, or from politics. Well, I'd like to think that that, that that's me, that that's all connected somehow. There was nothing looming like from heaven that 
was or from church that was like, vote for this or don't vote or you're bad if you do. When I first became a Christian, I, it was in the milieu of conservative fundamentalism. I was a Barry Goldwater supporter. I was for the Vietnam War. And um, since then, studying scripture and kind of in dialogue and seeing the world, I've gone to the, I've gone to the dark side. I'm more of a socialist now. Obviously, we we're condensing many years of your autobiography between Goldwater and now. But if you could give us just maybe two or three strains of thought that changed the most for you directly because of your faith. I think it's just getting to know the Bible. I mean, the Bible calls us to be have care for the poor. It calls us to have stewardship uh, for the, the environment and this earth. It mandates us Christians being agents of reconciliation. And so for me, I don't look for a candidate to be a Christian, but do they? how best do they align with doing the greatest good for the most people? I, I come from a very conservative background. I grew up as a Christian, um, but I also grew up in an area that was highly liberal in Philadelphia. So I grew up being pretty moderate. Like I said, the immigration thing was a huge uh, issue for me in the sense of I believe that we are called to bring in the people who need a home. I mean, that's what America's founded on. We're founded on a, di- a diversity of of a wide variety of people. I mean, I love watching the Olympics for that reason. You look at all these other countries that all look ex- exactly the same, and then you have America, and we're just this huge hodgepodge, and it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, oh, look, another white Danish Olympic <laughs> Right, <medalist>. right. <laughs> um, you know, but it's just fun to watch America come out, and it's just it just goes to show that we are, uh, you know, so diverse, and so it just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I've always been, you know, yeah, we're prideful as Americans, but I've always been prideful of the fact that we bring people in and that um, we give people a safe place, or we try to. And I understand there's a risk with that, um, but the Bible also says, do not fear, and Jesus repeats that numerous times. And so why are we so okay with living in a fear-based society? Yeah, I mean, it's it's heartbreaking to know, and having traveled a lot all over the world, how fearful we are as a society and how we let the news and fear dictate what we do and how we act. It's not our job to just believe the right things. Because as soon as we go, well, it's my job to believe the right thing, then we close our mind off and we, and we stop thinking about how other people view the world and we stop thinking about how we come across to other people. Mm. I believe it's our job to connect with every nation every, and, and every person that we can and, and with prayer and with compassion and empathy communicate Christ's love to that person. And that was the main reason just listening to how Trump spoke, listening to how disrespectful he was towards women and towards minorities. It just made me go, how policy or not, like that is that is such an important part of what I believe Christianity is supposed to be. Um, that it, again, my, my Christian faith led me to just saying I can't I can't vote for him. So we were just listening back to those answers together, Ellen, and I see you have taken a lot of notes. Uh, What kind of things did you write down? 
I really resonated with when Dennis said, you know, it's all about doing the greatest good for the most people. Yeah. And I'm so interested to hear how Christian Trump voters reconcile that um, because that's where I fall as well. Um, and I and I loved hearing about what Rebecca was saying about letting people in and being inclusive and keeping people safe. And Andy was talking about how Christ is inclusive. And I think across the board, there's this theme of loving people well. <laughs> how can anyone disagree with that? And I and I don't think anybody would disagree with that. That's why it's so fascinating to me that there's so. Well, so I would. I would want to distinguish between what we might call sort of broadly conservative views on, say, immigration and Trump's campaign rhetoric. Like those are different things, right? So you might think it's super reasonable to enforce immigration laws that are on the books that are not being enforced. You might have an argument for limiting, you know, whatever, refugees or immigration. And those are policy discussions that can be had between clear thinking people for sure. I do think refugees, policy-wise, is particularly problematic for Christians, especially since the data on dangerous refugees, there's so few of them. I mean, there's kind of embarrassing. There's almost none. And so as civil war is going on in Syria and millions of people are being displaced, uh, you know, it's that does to me feel like a bit of a moral stain, just refugees alone. I think that's a different question than the ban from predominantly Muslim countries. I think it's a different question than Southern and Northern border stuff. Uh, But I want to distinguish between policy disagreements because there is a place for conservatives at the table in any policy arena, in my view. That's the goal of having liberals and conservatives in the world is like the liberals open their hearts and the conservatives sort of dial it back, make sure we can pay for it. I mean, it's like it's like mom and dad, you know. The irony being that most of those conservatives are Christians with open hearts or they're supposed to have the openest hearts. Well, yeah, but you could imagine a conservative political person who is a Christian saying, look, my reason for wanting good immigration laws is to keep America what it is so it can be a force of good. Right. Right. I mean, you can totally imagine that. But some of what Trump said on the campaign trail, I mean, basically racial slurs about Mexicans and Mexican-Americans, a lot of sort of stirring up fear towards Muslims and terrorists and stuff. I think that's the stuff that's, for me, harder to figure out how that could jive with Christianity. But I just want to distinguish between that and policy disagreements, which are different. Sure. So I guess it's reasonable to expect some disagreement on almost everything between Christians. And in the spirit of cross-dialogue... Pun intended. You like that? Ew. <laughs> I was just hoping that that is not what you meant. And then I thought, no, no, it is. <laughs> In the spirit of cross the aisle dialogue, I asked our voters to speak as if to another Christian, a Trump supporting Christian. I asked them if one of these Trump supporting Christians were to say to you, hey, man, what's the big deal? Why do some Christians think it was wrong for me to have voted for Trump? How would you respond I believe that democracy calls for the our democracy calls for the care and responsibility for all people, and Trump has, for me, shown that he only cares for the one percenters. 
Um, I feel like the ones that I've talked to have not uh, studied stuff and they haven't, I feel like they're blindly listening to him because of, of something they've read or something they've seen on social media from another person that they listen to. Because my husband and I have checked things that they're telling us that are just awesome. We've fact-checked it and checked in things, and it's not true. I think it's really important that we try to think outside of our tribe, and we try to think of how our decisions affect people who aren't like us. And so that kind of blind decision of, oh, why is it a big deal? I always vote this way. Can I just continue to do that? I think that is an overly passive way of approaching a really important decision. I just think his actions and his words just aren't reflective of what the gospel is. I mean, all his immigration policy to me is is not biblically sound. I know people live in f- like to live in fear and he fed on the fears of people as opposed to going as a Christian, well, I'm looking at it from a Christian point of view, but as a Christian I go, well, God told us to feed and uh, clothe those who are hungry and sick, and we're trying to keep them out of our borders. And that, to me, just was not biblically sound. Um, Greg gave a bit of a longer answer that I think is worth playing, mainly because I like how he straddles the lines. He is a natural conservative, and he almost always votes Republican. Unlike Dennis or Rebecca, who are essentially making a naturally liberal Christian argument, that is, an argument that says, Christ calls us to love the outsider— and to extend justice beyond our own group. Greg is actually appealing to fundamentally conservative values in his answer. This is not a hypothetical. This hits very close to home. Um, I would just say that if you're someone who considered yourself an evangelical or a Bible-believing Christian, uh, one of the biggest downfalls or things that have led to the diminishment of Christianity in the Western world or in the Western hemisphere over the past 10, 15 years has been accusations of being hypocritical or the church being hypocritical and how they pinpoint a few issues that they are hardcore, you know, full sail on, and then other things they let go by the wayside. And I thought Trump would do far more damage to Christianity if he gets elected than not elected, because this is a man who embodies, at least on the surface, the antithesis of principles of the Christian so you, faith. You, <laughs> I mean, where, yeah, where to you begin? Mean like- you know, I believe in uh, what George W. Bush said when he ran for president, president in 2000, which was, I want to restore dignity and honor to the White House. I actually still believe that. And I thought, what is there about Donald Trump that is particularly honorable, decent, or sane? And I kept on racking my brain for it, and I couldn't find it. I think of uh, one of the verses in the New Testament that talks about uh, what is love, love is patient, love is kind. Uh, I think about fruits of the Spirit. I think about self-control, forbearance, Uh, you know, all of these things that we are supposed to, you know, emanate. Uh, as people who walk in the Christian faith. I would just say, look at the man's track record, uh, public and private, whether it's the way he ran his businesses, uh, running casinos, uh, his multiple divorces, uh, causes that he got behind, such as the birther issue with Obama. Really, the list went on and on and on. The way he would talk to people, his general demeanor, his posture in in public life, the, the way he would interact with individuals. There was nothing kind, gentle, 
uh, decent about it. Now, granted, we get sort of a thwarted picture just seeing what is conveyed in the media. And I've talked to a number of evangelicals that know Trump and say, well, what you see, his public persona does not match who he is in private. And I can buy that because I've heard it from so many people and not just people like directly in his staff, that there is another side to Trump. I believe that there's multiple sides to every person. But at least what I saw and what I read, I just couldn't match up things that I held dear uh, in my Christian faith. Can we just take a moment and give a shout out to Vicky, who just is so tragic, that poor woman. (laughs) It's so sad listening to some of her answers. I shouldn't laugh about it. No, we should have her in. Just, I want to give her a hug. What else stood out to you about those answers? Since I agree with all of them, the biggest thing to me is always the, and Greg was talking about this, the track record. I mean, if we're going to look at someone, you know, there's multiple sides to everyone, but wouldn't you, I mean, if you were, if you were running for president, if you were going to lead the country, the, the greatest nation, if I might... If you, you might, you may. <laughs> wouldn't you want to put your best self for, first? Wouldn't you want that one, if you've got multiple sides, wouldn't you want mm. that one side that is the most um, caring, efficient, productive, whatever, to be the side that most people see? Mm. Uh, it's it, maybe the, Maybe there's a strategy there. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, but I, I'm confused. Or even just maybe there's some sort of, political strategery no not strategery i mean like uh you know reflexes like just kind of a temperament of kind of a gut feeling of this is how leaders should lead right. and and then we could of course say i don't agree i'm not going to vote for you but you know there's he's a complicated person people are complicated i don't want to psychoanalyze trump no I don't and, think that and won't go anywhere yeah i guess i think what stood out to me most is that look Christians can disagree about Donald Trump, but I heard a pretty coherent argument, at least. And it's encouraging to hear, I said this last week, but it's encouraging to hear Christians, white evangelicals who are not in the mainstream, expressing clearly and compellingly an alternative view. I'm just encouraged by that, that that exists. All right, let's get into something else. What's next? Well, this is actually going to be our final topic today evangelicalism itself. Everyone's been waiting. You've been waiting for this? Woof. This will not be the last episode where we talk about evangelicalism, but it is the last thing we're going to talk about today. My first question was, what does the term evangelical mean to them? Some of them gave mostly theological answers. I believe, I I think the main thing where I would believe and agree with, quote, evangelicals is that that Jesus is God come in flesh to earth and and that we need to have a relationship with him. Now, whether that's a conscious decision and boom, this is when it happens that you are now a Christian or or whether it's a process or whether that's something that is just given to us. You know, I'm not a hundred percent sure when. Jury's that, out on those options. I'm not a hundred percent sure when that happens. 
I firmly believe that it is Jesus that brings us into a relationship with God. I suppose it, it means that you're you're evangelizing. You're living. A, a, to me, it's living your life and loving people and living like Jesus would want you to live or like Jesus would live. Of course, some of our voters anticipated the kind of double meaning of the term evangelical, and they spoke both about beliefs, but also about its socio-political meaning these days in America. For me, evangelical is good news. The gospel is good news for humankind that has gone amuck or drifted away from what we're supposed to be. In our Christian words, we call that sin, but nobody else does. <laughs> and the good news is that God gives us redirection and a new heart to change us so that we can get back on the path. The word evangelical means good news. I think right now, the right or the media has called it something other than what it meant is meant to be. And so right now, evangelical is really who's a conservative, who's a fundamentalist, but that's not the way the word started out. So you feel like the word evangelical has been sort of co-opted by political or journalistic sources and it been distorted? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, evangelical, you know, it started out, I think, probably in the 80s around the Reagan era. And uh, it had this connotation of sort of being the silent majority. And it was individuals who you weren't necessarily going to see out in the streets being really loud and uh, boisterous about their opinions, but were sort of going about their lives, uh, living lives of traditional values of the nuclear family, of you know, self-reliance, uh, independence, and giving privately to charities, and going to church uh, on the weekends, and being involved in your communities, and being involved at uh, local charities. And, and at the same time, the term evangelical sort of got conflated. And uh, when you mix religion and politics to where they're inseparable from each other, I think uh, you're in for a real problem, and we're seeing that come to a head uh, just in the past few years. And that's something I sort of woke up to, is I can't marry my religion to a political party or a political cause, per se, uh, because when you attach the spiritual realm completely to the political realm, then your faith could be subject to the rise and fall of whatever earthly cause is taking place at that time. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Uh, so, for example, I, I had just always assumed, oh, if you're a Christian, you're a Republican. I had thought that for the first 30 years of my life, practically. And then when a guy comes, uh, storms on to the national scene, uh, who has an R in front of his name, and I look at him and I go, gosh, he doesn't display any sort of principles that I believe are Christian Dang, uh, what, what do I do here? This is a, a, quite the pickle we're in here. I believe the evangelical movement was started with the heart of emphasizing helping other people know Jesus, that our faith would not just be a personal, mystical experience, but that it would be an outward thing where we're like, hey, you got you to gotta meet Jesus. So, so the heartbeat behind it is, is an outward um, social justice mixed with evangelism. And so to me, that's that's what it means. That's why I'm still an evangelical. I think over the years and where evangelicism is now, especially in our country, I think that we have p- 
picked up some other things and, and put them in the evangelical basket that don't necessarily need to be there. Um, so I, at, at its core, I think evangelicism is a beautiful thing. I wonder what evangelicism will look like um, in the next even 10 years in this country and um, in the world because it, it feels like it's getting to a unique boiling point. I don't think God's worried about it, but I do think that it'll be a unique season in American evangelical culture and in the next 10 years. So here we go. Party on. So I guess, Ellen, I want to know what you think about these responses, but I also just kind of want to ask you first, like, what do you think of when you hear the term evangelical? And did these responses differ in any significant way? Well, I'd say that I have never called myself one, but there's no reason for that. I just, I, I just have always assumed that evangelical and Christian were one and the same. And so um, mm. I think it's new for a lot of people to call themselves evangelical because it's a word that is used mostly by, you know, journalism. And yeah, these days. Yeah, these days. And like Dennis said, I think that journalism has sort of hijacked the term I don't know. I think it's probably caused a mass exodus, if you will, of people wanting to be underneath that term because of all the connotations. And Yeah, it's actually interesting. So next week, we're going to be talking with Roxanne Stone from the Barna Group, which is kind of like a faith-focused Pew Research Center. And we get into this a lot. We're talking a lot about what evangelicalism is. But one of the things that we will talk about is what you're saying. Let's say that people are leaving the evangelical label behind because they are not interested in being lumped together with evangelicals. Well, then when they take an exit poll and they ask people, are you evangelical? There's a self-selection going on. The people who will still say they're evangelical are going to be people who are comfortable with what journalists call evangelical. Because now the main usage of that term is the sociopolitical term. And interestingly, Lifeway Research, which is sort of like Barna Group as well, they found that African Americans are very unlikely to call themselves evangelical, even if they hold theological beliefs that are evangelical, classically speaking. This is one of those times when language can make such a huge impact on worldviews. Yeah. Because now you have a view of what evangelicals are that actually has not been, I mean, in part, it's been shaped by evangelicals themselves, but it's also been shaped by the way the media talks about evangelicals. Now, before we get too much hope, I will just tease a little bit about next week and say that on Barna Group's definition of evangelical by f- by faith belief, by theological claim, 79% of them still voted for Trump. So don't get too pumped about that distinction if you're one of the people who's worried about that. How does that make you feel? Well, it makes me, again, Dan, it, it makes me sad because I thought that evangelicals were supposed to be voting for the guy who's going to be Christ-like and... Maybe I have that all wrong. Don't get too sad just yet. We're going to have a chance to listen and hear some of these voters out. And you might find more common ground than you think. So we've got one last question for our voters today. And this is the question. 
A lot of people have left the evangelical church behind. We were just talking about this, both because of Trump and now because of Roy Moore, but even before Trump, for other reasons, often related to politics, moral majority stuff, etc. So the question we asked was, do you still consider yourself an evangelical? I think there's a lot of people that are, are accepting this kind of a party line of ev- evangelicals. That's the thing that uh, that I think is dangerous. That if you're a Christian, you got to believe in a strong, expensive military. Well, why? Why? Because I I'm pro life. You know, why do I have to then believe that we need to be putting more money into our military? I don't. So, and that's the kind of thing that scares me about the label of evangelical. My theology hasn't changed, but the word evangelical uh, is just very loaded, and it brings with it a lot of baggage for what people on the left side of politics believe brings with it. And I don't want to enter into a conversation with all those presumptions about me before we even say hello to each other. (laughs) Um, So I I just don't like the term evangelical. I think when people hear it, they believe politics is married to religion and Republicans are married to Christianity. And I don't like it. (laughs) Again, because I feel like it's the whole of who I am and it's important that that's how I live because it's important in decisions I make and relationships that I have. And the fact that I pray for Trump and would have a conversation with him if I saw him, I don't hate him. I just wish he wasn't the president of our country. I feel called to this tribe or brand of Christianity still, and I want to help people know Jesus. And so as long as I feel that I can effectively do that in this movement of Christianity than I will. But I've always been like, I've always been really hesitant to say I'm an evangelical. I'm this denomination, like, cause I'm an ordained pastor in the Baptist general conference, what's called converge now. So like I, I am, I mean, I'm in this, right. Yeah. But I try to hold that with an open hand too. And I'm constantly going, all right, Jesus, like, is this helping me know you still? It, it has up to this point helped me know you. A lot of my friends have distanced themselves from evangelicism for some of the reasons that we've talked about. But I, what I'm seeing, though, is I, like, I'm not seeing them land anywhere. I'm not seeing, a honestly, a non-evangelical option that's actually helping people grow in Christ. I'm just seeing people walk away from evangelicism. And in, in that kind of walking away from accountability, walking away from community, walking away from um, a lot. It's just more of a, well, I don't really know, so I'm leaving. But to me, that makes me go, okay, well, how can we address those? Like, how can we, how can we make this movement helpful to people? Um, how can we reform the evangelical movement to make it more effective in helping people truly know Christ? Um, and if there's some things that have gotten sideways or things that worked 50 years ago that don't work now, why not just make those changes? But I think people are really good at hanging on to stuff. So for me, I'm not hanging on to anything. Like if I woke up tomorrow and I said, man, I just don't think this North American evangelical thing is helping me. I couldn't be a pastor a day longer than that. I'm staying in the church, my church, because it's my family. 
And I feel that's where God wants me. Yeah, I mean, I do. Um, let, me, let me phrase it this way. Evangelical is a hard word because I don't like to put my identity in labels. Um, so, yeah, from the outside looking in, yeah, I'm evangelical. But that's not a label I necessarily put on myself. A lot of people have just left that label before Trump, and a lot of people have left because of Trump. Um, but you don't feel like it's something you need to leave behind. Yeah, I don't I don't want it to, once again, become a divisive term. The thing that saddens me is that there there's this people view, people who aren't Christians or evangelicals view evangelicals as this Trump-supporting, gun-toting person. And there's a whole group of us that aren't. And why should we be afraid of a word um, when we know that there's those of us out there that don't fit that stereotype? But I, I refuse to just be afraid of a term because a negative connotation is involved with it. All right, what's up for next week, Dan? So next week, we are going to take a deep dive with the actual statistic itself. 81% white evangelical. What is white? What is evangelical? How are these things measured? What's the difference between people who self-identify as evangelical and people who have, quote, evangelical beliefs? All of that stuff. As well as a couple peeks into the history of evangelicalism and how it explains where we have gotten in America. And you know what I think we should do? What? I think we should find out if I'm an evangelical. I'm really excited. Because after listening to all this, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what this means. So we're going to find out what the criteria are for some research companies, and then we'll find out if you are an evangelical. I've already done it. I know that I'm not anymore. It's like a test you can take. It is. Like Enneagram or Myers-Briggs or something. like that. There are... So Barna Group, which we mentioned, is like a Pew Research, but a, a Christian version. Uh, they have a nine claim test. And if you strongly agree with all nine, then you are classified as an evangelical. I'm so nervous. Yeah, I'm really curious. What's going to happen if I'm one way or the other? <laughs> What's going to change? I don't know. I don't know. I think you'll be okay. Either way. Well, I know God. I'll be okay, but I'm just, you know, I'm just ner- I'm just nervous. I'm excited. I'm excited to find out. Well, we're excited to have you guys with us next week. Thank you for listening. To stay informed about Depolarize, Reconstruct, and any future podcast projects of mine, go to dancokewords.com and join the email list.